You mean Dennis the Menace. Yes, that's the one. The one who creates nothing but problems. That's me. Um, for those of you who have not heard this, but that's really who I am. My mom used to say this. If she would have had me first, she would have had me last. I am the last born in our family. So, um, but I also want to introduce you to two people. One is um, just the definitely um, love of my life, the, the better half of this relationship, and that is Michaela. Michaela, yeah, she's going, what? Who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? <laughs> and also, Ed Newman is with me. Ed is over our men's ministry over at um, Living Waters for you guys that have gone up to the camp. He's the one that keeps mis misdirecting you when you always want to try to short sheet me. He's my go-to guy. He always misdirects you to go to another cabin. And Joe, you know what I'm talking about because you tried to do it with Jesse. So, um, but it just, it's great to be back here. I, I was thinking about this and it's been now 10 years since I've been back here. And what a privilege to be able to come and share in the house of the Lord, not John's house, but the house of the Lord. And just to be able to, to, to bring just forth a, a word that God has placed on my heart. Um, but before I, I get that, a lot of you have been wondering about this book. Um, this comes from all my years of pastoring, from here up in Mesquite. And I was doing some different teachings. And in fact, it was Ed who uh, one night just said, Dennis, why don't you write a book about all this stuff and put it down to where we can have something? And so that's what started the process. The book itself is, uh, is a journey. It takes you, um, Glenn Burris said it's a, a pathway to discipleship. Um, actually, I, I love what Jack got a hold of the book and wrote an endorsement for it. And he wrote it to churches and to pastors to make it a part of the church growth of, of the church because discipleship is what it's all about. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And so this is what it's all about. It's an A through Z guide. It's a journey that takes you from the very beginning. We talk about the, the, the two roads, the narrow road and the wide road. And then who are we going to be called as believers? Because a lot of times we've been accepting the world's definition of who we are rather than God's definition of who we are. And there's a huge difference between the two. And so we talk about that. We talk about the, the overflowing, be filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Um, then how do we get aligned? Aligned to God, aligned to his word, his will, and his way. Uh, it talks about um, how to you know, be surrendered and submitted to God. It talks about uh, pursuing, actively pursuing God's presence. Uh, it talks about how to be on, on purpose. How can we be on purpose for Jesus Christ? Instead of going all over the place, how can we be on purpose? Talks about Satan's potholes that he puts in there to damage our transformation. About God's speed bumps that slows us down. Why? Because sometimes we're just going too fast. And all of a sudden, the Lord puts a, a speed bump there to slow us down because he knows what's going on in front of us. We don't. And he needs to slow us down so that we don't go off the cliff. And then finally, it's the maintenance program. Because if you ever get a car, what's the thing that's in the glove box? It's the maintenance program. And so how do we maintain the gains that we have gotten? And so that's the heart of the book because the heart is all about discipleship. It's very simple. It's not complex. Uh, some churches are using it for Bible studies. Other churches are using it for a one-on-one -on -one discipleship. One pastor has his elders taking people one-on-one -on -one through this book for their own discipleship program. And so 
just to let you know that's what it's about. It's not about selling a book. It's about how to grow the body of Christ, how to grow in the things of God. And so that's what this is all about. But before we go any further, uh, will you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, we just come here this morning with hearts just grateful for what you have done. And we know, Lord Jesus, that you are here because your word promises where two or three are gathered in your name, you are here in the midst. And so we welcome you, Lord Jesus, here. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move in such a mighty way here today that hearts would be changed, forever changed, and not one of us would leave here today without having our hearts changed by you. So, Lord, go before us now. Speak to all of our hearts today. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, what I'd like to share with you about is this whole process of discipleship. Um, what does it look like? What does it look like in real time? Because a lot of times we get all the theology everything else, but what does it look like in real time that we can take, take hold of it, and use it to grow with? And I'd like to take this time and take from uh, what I call the quintessential passage of discipleship, and it's a passage that Jesus himself spoke. And it says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. But what does that look like in real time? And today I'm not going to talk about theology. What I want to talk to you about is reality. And so let's just start, get right back into it. The first thing that we need to do is there needs to be a desire on our part. We have to desire to be a disciple. Hence the first part of the verse. If anyone desires to come after me. What I've learned over all the years is that Discipleship does not happen by osmosis. You don't all of a sudden come to Jesus Christ, you accept Him as Savior and Lord, you raise your hand in a service, hallelujah, I'm grateful for that, but just because we raise our hand doesn't automatically make us fully operational disciple. We're not fully operational. There are instructions that come along with it, and they're found in God's Word. But instead, that what has to be is there has to be a sincere desire on our part to become a disciple. We have to desire it above everything else. And beyond that, there also needs to be a commitment to the process. In other words, we have to be committed to the process of, of finding out and walking in God's plans and purposes for our lives. And there's a beautiful verse found in Psalms that speaks about this whole thing, that brings these two together, uh, the idea of needing to desire it above all else and be committed to the process. And it comes out of Psalms 37. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And so there has to be a desire on our part above everything else to follow after Jesus Christ, to be a fully devoted, sold-out follower, disciple that Jesus has called for us to be. And there has to be this commitment to the process. And when these are coupled together, a desire in our heart and a commitment to the process, that 
is when we're going to accomplish those goals that Jesus has set for us in our lives. That is when discipleship, honest with you guys, that's when discipleship becomes a real joy. Because becoming a disciple shouldn't be a drag. Discipleship, learning to be a disciple and becoming a disciple of Jesus should be the most exciting thing in our lives. And so there has to be this desire on our part. The second thing is we have to learn how to deny ourselves. Deny ourselves. Let him deny himself. But what does that look like? What does denying ourselves look like? I want to tell you something. That has brought more frustration on the part of Christians than most anything that I know. Why? It's because somewhere along the line, we're not denying ourselves. And we say it. Somewhere along the line, you're going to pull into a McDonald's and order a Big Mac. And afterwards, you're going to say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. We have to learn how to deny ourselves. But what does that literally look like? And the problem that we have is because we don't know what that looks like. To deny in the Greek language means to give up something or to have no connection with it. But if I can give you a working definition, it's this. That is basically stay clear of everything that draws you away from God. And I don't have to tell you what draws you away from God. You already know what it is, don't you? We know what these things are. And so God's saying, deny yourself. What, so how do we do that, though? Unfortunately, most of us have this convoluted image of what this looks like, of denying oneself. Our convoluted image is like this, that we have to be a monk living in a monastery, taking the vow of silence. But we all know how that's going to turn out, don't we? Because the very first day, we're going to blow it. Why? We're going to ask, where's the bathroom? We're going to blow it. And that's been the huge problem is that the fact is we need this power to be able to deny ourselves. But what does this look like in real life? Let me help you here. This is really is revolutionary when you understand it. And that is to deny yourself is to become a little bit more like Jesus Christ every single day. See, we want to have the one mile in a day. God's just saying, will you take a step with me today? Will you just take a single step with me today and follow me? It's becoming more like Jesus Christ every single day. And by the way, guys, we're never going to get there until we're going to be in heaven. And so to deny ourselves is basically just becoming a little bit more like Jesus Christ. It's finding out what would Jesus do. So when we make decisions, we're making decisions. How, how are we going to deal with others? How are we going to deal with our family? How are we going to deal, you know, becoming a little bit more like Jesus Christ in the way that we deal with our spouse, in the way we deal with our children, how, the way we deal with our in-laws and outlaws. It's how we deal with them or on our work, in our workplace, how we deal with employees, how we deal with employers, how we deal with customers, how we deal with our coworkers. In other words, it's finding out, how would Jesus deal with them? What would Jesus do? Charles Sheldon, in his book, In His Steps, he wrote this book, and he coined a phrase that took Christianity, 20th century Christianity, by storm. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, uh, as Christians, we always like the new stuff. 
So we always go after the new. A lot of times the new isn't as good as the old. That's because I'm old. No. Um, but he coined this phrase. And it was, what would Jesus do? You know it as WWJD. What would Jesus do? In other words, whenever we come up to a situation or have to answer somebody or whatever it is, we would always ask the question, if Jesus was in this situation, how would Jesus respond to this situation? How would he respond to this difficulty? How would he respond to this individual? When I had my businesses here in Las Vegas, back in those days, you always had the nameplate, so when people come in, they wanted to know who you were, like my employees didn't know who I was, but you always had a nameplate. Well, on the back of that nameplate... I would have, what would Jesus do? And so whenever somebody walked into my office, whether it be an employee, whether it be a customer, whether it be uh, a vendor, whatever it was, I would always have that in front of me so I would answer them in the right way. Because sometimes I just want to take people's heads off. I still do. Um, but anybody you like that, you're, all of a sudden you just want to take somebody's head off or what they've done, you know, and you kind of get that, you know, in Michaela's language, I want to snatch them bald-headed. Love you, babe. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little short up here. And I'll tell you something, that did cause frustration on my part. But I want to tell you something that changed me. Now, instead of, you know, when an employee would be stealing from the company, I had to deal with it. So I had to bring them into the office, and I had to fire them. Before, it was always, you know, and, and just upset and mad. But now, when I had that statement up there, I couldn't go. I had to now talk with them. Because how would Jesus deal with that particular person? And so instead of getting upset with them, now I had to find out, why did you find it necessary to steal? What is going on in your life that you found this necessary to have this, to do something like this? Now, I still had to fire them, but it was with a whole lot more understanding and compassion trying to help them get on with their life and where they needed to go. Always allowing myself that if they ever needed to come back and talk to me, they always could. And pretty soon I didn't need that sign there anymore. Now, do I still do it perfectly? No, I don't think anybody does it perfectly. But, you know, I get by myself in my home. I don't know if you guys get that way, and all of a sudden somebody messes up, and you're just like, oh, man, I just, you know, you're yelling at a wall, you know. But Jesus begins to talk with me, and I would ask this question, Lord, what would you do in this situation? In other words, I want to get his input. I want to get his take on what's going on in that situation in that other person's life. And so that first question that we have to start asking ourselves every day is what would Jesus do? And I know that a lot of times people are saying, oh, you know what, that's, eh. No. If you want to deny yourself, then you've got to start asking that question because to deny yourself, in other words, you're asking, Jesus, what would you do rather than what would I do? Now, along with this question, there is a prayer. It's a prayer that I learned years ago. It's a prayer that I use for counseling. It's a prayer that I use when I'm talking to people and they're going through something and they're dealing with something. I have seen marriages come back from the brink. I have seen marriages come back from the brink with this very prayer. And it's a prayer that will change everything. 
It will prayer that will change you. It will be a prayer that will change your situation. It's an unbelievable prayer. How many of you would like to know the prayer? Come on now. Some of you are going, I don't think I want to change the situation. Yeah, we do. That's what discipleship is all about. It's a very simple prayer. Got a pen? Everyone got a pen? I want you to write it down. Write it down. You ready? Lord, change me. Yeah, can I repeat that? (laughs) For you, I know I have to. And so when something happens, when something comes up, when something bad goes on, instead of praying, Lord, would you change, guys and gals, you do this in your marriage, Lord, would you change them? They're obviously wrong. Don't they know what it is? Or the situation, Lord, would you change this situation? Please change this situation. No, you need to pray, Lord, change me. That is where spiritual transformation comes in because it's an inside out work. And this is my guarantee to you. I will guarantee this prayer. When you start praying that, God will begin to change you and as God begins to change you, guess what? He's going to change that situation that you're in. He's going to change that other person not because you're asking Him to change them because they're changing, that situation is changing because you're changing. That's spiritual transformation. And so to deny ourselves, we have to ask that question. Lord, ask the question, (laughs) what would Jesus do? And then along with that, say, Lord, change me. And I guarantee you that you will start to change. I guarantee you that that situation, everything around you is going to start changing because you are changing. That's what it looks like to deny yourself. It's not having some sheet about not going to McDonald's or not doing this, not doing that, not doing something else because there's so many knots out there that we can never get all the knots in our life out. What we have to do is a good, positive, this is what I need to do. And as you start doing it, things will change. Third thing is to die daily. To die daily. Now, I'm not talking about something morbid here. What it is, this has everything to do with the cross. The scripture says this, take up his cross daily. What does it mean to pick up one's cross? It isn't about being inconvenienced. It isn't about bearing some burden. Oh, that's just the burden I have to bear. That's the cross I have to carry. Ever come up with that one? It's not about a burden. It's not about an inconvenience. When you pick up your cross and follow Jesus, you are dying to what you want, to your own self-wants and interests, and start living for, get this, living for God's destiny for you. Because God has a destiny for every one of us in here today. God has a destiny for you. And so what we have to learn how to do is learn how to die to what we want so that we can live for what God wants. And God has a destiny for you. And guess what? It involves your family. It involves your spouse. It involves your children. It involves the place in which you work. 
God has a destiny for you there. We always want God's destiny there, but God has placed you where he has placed you right now because he has a destiny for you there. And some of you, you know what? The place that you work or the sickness that you are going through, sometimes God has you going through it because he's got a destiny for you in that. That's hard to swallow, but that is what he has for you. And when we accept that and start walking in that, that's when God can mightily use us in this destiny. Now, back in Jesus' day, when Rome ruled the world, when you saw someone carrying a cross, you didn't go, boy, that person's got a burden to bear. No, it was like, you know what, that person's going to their death. To pick up one's cross means willing to die for the cause of Christ. Are we willing to die to ourselves for the cause of Christ? Are we willing to surrender it all to Jesus? Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it a man if he gains the whole world and himself destroyed or lost? Guys, discipleship and gals, discipleship is tough. I'm not here to blow smoke. Discipleship is tough. It's going to cost. There's a sacrifice. There's a cost to it. There's a sacrifice. But let me tell you something. An eternity in heaven, in the presence of our Lord, is worth all the cost and the sacrifice that we would have here. Yeah, it's going to cost. But the reward is far beyond whatever that cost would be. Finally, The last thing is deciding to identify with Christ. Deciding to identify with Christ. That's what follow me is all about. But what does following look like? What does it look like to follow Jesus? How do we follow him? There's a story in the Bible that got me walking in this particular direction. It's the story of Mephibosheth. But not the whole story. It's the end part of the story. Mephibosheth was the uh, surviving son of Jonathan and grandson of King Saul. When Jonathan and King Saul died in battle, there was panic in the palace. And the nurse that was caring for this baby, Mephibosheth, was running out of the palace, and in her haste, she dropped him. And he became crippled in both of his feet, where he could not walk any longer. And he grew up that way. Now when David finally did take over as king, was firmly established, he remembered an agreement, a covenant, that he made with Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. And in that promise, he said that whoever whoever was left, in other words, of the children and family of Jonathan, that he would always care for them, that he would always be there for them. And so he asked around, does Jonathan have any children that are alive? And they said, yeah, one, Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth at that particular time wasn't living in Israel proper. Why? Because in that particular time when somebody took over, when a new king took over, he wiped out the old king's family. And so Mephibosheth was hiding out. He was hiding out on the other side of the Jordan in a very barren place, a little village by the name of Lodabar. 
Lodabar means house of no bread, a place of no bread. And so King David went there and got Mephibosheth, and he brought him back to the palace, and he restored all the inheritance of his father Jonathan and grandfather Saul. He restored that all to Mephibosheth. But beyond that, he brought Mephibosheth into his own family, brought him into the palace, sat him at his table. You're part of my family now. But what happened is that David's oldest boy, Absalom, rebelled against his dad. And David realized that he was not in a strong position there in Jerusalem. And so he left Jerusalem. Now, Mephibosheth wanted to go with him, but he wasn't able to. He was crippled. But what he did is that he identified with David even while he was in the palace. You see, he forsook the pleasures of the palace to identify with David in exile. He didn't wash his clothes. He didn't care for his feet. In other words, he was identifying, this is the way that my king and my lord is living out in the desert. This is the way I am going to live here. And the same with us, with Jesus. We live for Jesus. We follow Jesus by living for him here, right now, by identifying with him, by showing our love and loyalty to him in our lives right now. The same way Mephibosheth showed his love and loyalty to his king, his Lord David. And so are we willing to forego the pleasures of this world? Are we willing to forego that which the world says that we must do and be? Are we willing to forego that so that we can identify with the one that we say that we love? Are we willing to identify with Jesus? And so we need to live our lives in such a way to show the world our love and loyalty for Jesus Christ. And so as we end part of this teaching on discipleship, what we've learned is this, is to be a fully devoted, sold out follower of Jesus Christ, we have to desire it over everything else and be committed to the process. We have to be able to deny ourselves on a daily basis by asking that question, what would Jesus do? And praying that prayer, Lord, change me. And then we got to die to our own wants and needs and start living for Jesus Christ right here and right now. We do that by identifying with him, showing the world our love and loyalty to him. This is how we become that fully devoted, sold out follower, disciple that Jesus has called us to be. The only problem with this whole thing, guys, I'm sorry, but the only problem with this whole thing is we can't do it. I went through this whole thing to tell you you can't do it. You can't. It's not within your power and it's not within your strength to do this what I talked to you about today. So where does the power come from? The power comes from the Holy Spirit. And so, like the disciples, the disciples, they were empowered They were, basically, they were endued with power from on high. Jesus said, wait into Jerusalem until you're endued. That means clothed in power. In power from on high. With Holy Spirit power, we are to be clothed in Holy Spirit power. And so, this next part is that we've got to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't even know where my notes are, so, guys, you've got to put up with me. In Revelation chapter 22... 
there was something that was in there that kind of expanded my understanding of the power that's available to us to be those disciples that Jesus has called for us to be. It comes out of Revelation 22. Look at it with me. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is a picture of heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly throne room. And what we are seeing on this throne, we're seeing God the Father and God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Where's the Holy Spirit? Let me submit this to you. The Holy Spirit is that clear river of water of life flowing from the throne. Now, how do I know that? How can, why can I say that? It's because the same Greek construction, the same Greek structure of this passage of that says, uh, river of pure river of water of life, that same structure in the Greek language is the same structure and construction that Jesus used in describing the Holy Spirit. Look what he said. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. And so the Holy Spirit is that pure river of living water that flows out from the throne of God. And it's that same living water that God pours into his people so that we can be conduits of his grace and mercy. See, we are not... You know what? I know they do talk about us being receptacles. No, I don't want to be a receptacle. I want to be a conduit. That power and the, and the Holy Spirit that flows into me, I want it flowing out to everyone else. The only question is, how much of this river, how much of this Holy Spirit do we want? How much of this river, how much of the Holy Spirit do you want? The Apostle Paul gives something very interesting. He said, the Lord, who can do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we can ask and think, who wants the exceedingly and abundantly part? Truthful, guys, do you want it? It's available to you. Exceedingly abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, but how? Through the power that works within us. So what power is working within us? The Apostle Paul says that we are the temple of God. Remember I talked about the temple, heavenly temple? We are the temple of God. And sitting upon the throne of that temple is Jesus Christ. And now from that throne is flowing this river of living water, the Holy Spirit. As he flows into us, he's flowing out from us as well. And so the question is this, how much of that river do you want? Do you want a little stream? Or do you want a mighty, rushing river? That's a question that we have to ask. It's our choice as to what it is. Now, understand that it brought me to another river. It was a river described by the prophet Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel's prophecy, he's looking at the millennial temple. The millennial temple is the temple that is going to exist for that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. That after this, after this time is over and the time of tribulation is taken effect the seven years talked about by the prophet daniel and in the book of revelation that last seven years once that's over and judgment happens then as jesus is here upon the earth he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years wow and he's describing this temple for us and he says out from this temple flows 
a river. Now remember that the temple is a copy of God's heavenly throne. And so Jesus is on the throne, and out from that throne flows this river. And wherever this river flows, there is healing and there is life. And this is not a small river. It's a huge river. Those people that have looked at all the dimensions, I can't do all that kind of stuff. I have to look at people who do know that kind of stuff. They've actually, they're saying that this river could possibly be two miles wide. That's a big river. And it flows from out of the temple. And it flows down into the barren wastelands and into the Dead Sea. And the really neat thing about this river is that where it flows, there is new life. There is brand new life. There is, it talks about how there's the, the trees are going to line the river. I'm sorry, guys. There's not one tree that, you see those pictures. I love those pictures. One tree lines the, no, no, no. There's going to be a forest. And it's going to be beautiful with flowering bushes and trees and greenery. It's going to be kind of close to what the Garden of Eden was probably going to be like. And it's going to flow into the Dead Sea. Now, you know why they call it dead? Because it is. Nothing lives in this sea. It's so salty that nothing can live in it or even around it. And when this water hits it, he says that now it's going to come alive. There's going to be teeming. It's going to be teeming with all sorts of fish all around. It's going to be beautiful. I mean, the most beautiful spot in the world in that time first is going to be the temple. But in nature, it's going to be this valley and this sea because it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. Because everywhere that river flows, there is healing. There is life. What's interesting about this prophecy is that Ezekiel talks about different depths of the river. First he says it's ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, and then it's over our heads. And something interesting about this river is that when you see them wading in, you, never, you don't see them wading out the other side. Because when they get in the river, they're in the flow. And when they're in the flow, they're flowing with the current. They're in the flow. And that's what I want to talk to you about, kind of give you an illustration. And for the illustration, I promise I won't hit anybody with this. Though I've threatened many. An anchor. This anchor represents everything that we're unwilling to give up. This anchor represents all those things that we don't want to give up in our walk with the Lord. And we put it down. And then we take a rope, and we take this rope, and we tie ourselves up in it. Now we're ready for the river. And so we start in. What are the different depths? What do they represent? Well, the first step is your ankle deep. That's when we start getting our feet wet in the things of God. We're getting our feet wet. So this is somewhere where, like, you're just starting out, and, and, and you're just starting to, to find out more about the things of God. Maybe you're reading a devotional, maybe the daily bread on a regular basis, but you're reading a devotional. You're kind of coming to church every once in a while, things of that nature. 
Next, you get to your knee deep. Knee deep. Now, understand this. When you're back up with the ankle, you're not in the flow yet. You really don't even feel the flow. And you take that next step, and it comes down to your knees. Now you're starting to feel the current. This is when we're starting to get a little bit deeper in the things of God. This is when we're starting to read the Bible on a daily basis, when we're starting to pray, come to church, starting to learn more about this Lord in which we serve, this Lord in whom we are a disciple of. And then we go a little bit further, and now we come up to waist deep. Waist deep, this is where you're feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you guys have ever been fishing, and you get out there, you get about waist deep. Man, you're, you're, you're kind of trying to get your balance here, because why? That river's trying to take you. And you don't, yeah, I got a new room. Hey, this old, I can still move. Hey, um, but we start moving a little bit. This is where you're feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit upon your life. You're starting to sense God's calling. You're starting to sense the Spirit's calling upon your life. But you know what? You've got to take one more step. And you've got to come and you've got to step all the way. And you've got to let that river flow over you. You've got to let it flow over you. And when you allow the river to overflow you, then you're going to start going, you're going to, to go, you're going to go on the flow. You're going to start going in those things of God that God has got for your life. And you're going to continue to move and it's going to be absolutely Uh-oh. I can't move anymore. Why? I've tied myself off. I've tied myself off because I'm afraid of the river. I'm afraid of what the Holy Spirit might be doing in my life. And I don't want to go there. And so what happens is we start doing what? We start pulling ourselves out of the flow. We pull ourselves out of the flow, out of what God wants to do in our lives. And we start pulling ourselves up and out and onto the shoreline. In my 35 years of ministry, in ministering, teaching, preaching, being a pastor, I've seen far too many people, breaks my heart, that have been down there, that have pulled themselves back up onto the shore. And they're still there. Men and women of God who are so mightily used by God, but because of they're not willing to give up. They're not willing to give this up. They're not willing to give up those things that they're holding on to that they think is, makes life worth living. They're not willing to get out of their comfort zones. And so they're not willing to do that, and so they pull themselves back out of the stream, and they're no longer flowing in the things of God. They're no longer flowing in the Holy Spirit. When you get to the middle of the water, and the water's over your head, and you're being swept away, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. But you see, the reason we do that also is because we want control, don't we? We want the control. We don't want to give God, oh, guys, I, I'm with you on this one. I, I give great lip service to God. 
Lord, have your way in me. Just have it my way. Isn't that a reality? We don't want to give control over to God, so we want to have it done our way. So we pull ourselves up, but we don't have to be afraid. If you want the mighty flow of the Holy Spirit, if you want the power to take this journey of faith that you've been called to take, if you want that power to, to take this journey of spiritual transformation, then we got to, guys, I tell this to the guys, you got to put your big boy pants on. You got to get in the deep end. Why don't you need to be afraid? Because the Holy Spirit will take you places. Let me put this. Holy Spirit's going to take you on a ride that Disneyland or Knoxbury Farm can't even touch. He's going to take you on the ride of your life. He's going to take you places you've never been before. He's going to show you things you've never seen before. He's going to give you revelation that you have never even heard before. But what do you got to do? Yeah, I might have to. We gotta untie ourselves to the anchor. Are you willing to untie yourself? Are you willing to untie yourself? It's not easy. But the Holy Spirit wants to take you into new, such new things. And understand this, remember, wherever the river flows, there is healing. And so when you allow the Holy Spirit to take you, and if you're going in the flow of the Holy Spirit, I promise you, you'll find new life. And those things that were dead in your life before, they'll come back to life. Now, I'm not talking about the things you need to have dead in your life, okay? I'm talking about those things in which you desire more than anything else. Uh, it's the things of God, and he will bring them back to life. Because everywhere that river flows, there is healing. So remember, the deeper you go, the mightier the flow. The deeper you go, the Holy Spirit will do mighty things in you and through you. But you've got to be willing to go deeper. You've got to be willing to untie yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to have total control. Because when you're in the flow, I'm going to tell you something, there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than allowing the Holy Spirit to take you and, ah, you know, I, I was one of those people that pulled myself out until I realized I had to untie myself from so many things so I could go deeper in the things of God. So here's a question. How many of you today want to go deeper with God? I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will take you deeper and that God will bring you that healing that you so desperately want and that you so desperately need. Like I said before, this is not theology, it's reality. Now, there's a lot of things that this anchor represents. I don't have to tell you what they are. Why? Because you already know them. You already know what they are. Oh, I can give you all sorts of things, but you know what? You know what it is, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today about what these things are that's holding you back. And you gotta let them go. You gotta give them to God. We got an altar up here for you to give them to. 
And I've learned this, that once you give them to God, there's no fishing for them. Once, once it's down there, you can't go back to it. And the idea is that do you want to go deeper with God? You're not going to be able to walk out this door without answering that question fully in your heart. Why? Because the Holy Spirit won't let you. Because he's told you today. He's not going to let you walk out that door without you getting it right with him. And he's going to do that work in here today if we let him. Wherever the river flows, there is healing. The deeper you go, the mightier the flow. My prayer for you today is that you will truly start taking off that rope and start getting into those waters and allow the Holy Spirit to overflow you. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, to realize that you are the author of our life. And Lord, I would ask that you would just speak your words into our lives this morning. And that none of us would be satisfied with where we are, but we would desire to come fully and fully after you. That we would fully embrace what it is that you desire to do in our hearts and in our lives. That we no longer, we stop this idea of playing church, Lord, but we would be your disciples called out by you. If you are here, understand this. Discipleship begins when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. It doesn't begin later on. It begins there. If you have not given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, then let this day be that day. It's not about coming to church. It's not about belonging to religion or belonging to this church or that church or another church. It's all about coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. That's where it begins. Today, if this is your prayer, ask the Lord to come into your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want you to be my Savior and I want you to be my Lord. I want you to take over my life. I give you my whole of my life. I confess my sins to you. And know this, that when you confess your sins, he's just and faithful to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he wants to make you into a new creation. That's for him. If that is you today, we don't want to go beyond this point right now into the next part. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and you want to accept him this morning, then raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord this morning. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Is there anyone here? And you need to have that, that, that new relationship with Jesus Christ. Is there anyone at all? Just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. Praise God. Is there anyone else? Anyone else you want to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Thank you, Lord, for this new life. And Lord, I ask that you would just, Holy Spirit, fill. Fill. Allow 
come to see the, the, the greatness of this decision that has been made. But today, if you are here, if you are here, you're here, I want to know how many of you want to go deeper in your relationship with God? How many of you want to go deeper? Just raise your hand. Yeah, I want to go deeper in my relationship with God. You're not satisfied with where you are. You need to go deeper in the things of God. Okay, what I'm going to ask you now is how many of you are willing to go deeper even still? Are you willing to go deeper even still? If that's the case, I want you to stand. Stand. Stand for the Lord. If you want to go deeper into the things of God, if you want to go deeper into the Holy Spirit, if you want that water to overflow your life, to take you in the flow where God wants to take you into whatever that ministry would be, whatever that is, God is speaking to your heart. The Holy Spirit is speaking. If that is you, then good. You stand. Now I want to ask you one more thing. Sometimes it takes even a further commitment to the process. And if you want, and I want to pray for you, if you want to have the Holy Spirit overflow you in a way you've never experienced before, taking you places you've never gone before, showing you things you've never seen before, you know, revealing things that you've never even had that revelation of before, then what I want you to do I want you to get out of your seats and I want you to come forward and I want you to come forward into the flow of the Holy Spirit. You're saying, I want to get into the flow of the Holy Spirit. If this is you, let's come forward. Let's get into the flow. Kayla, will you come up, please? God wants to do a new work here. God wants to do a new work in this church. God wants to do a new work in your heart and in your life. Let this be that new day for you. Let this be that new day for you. Michaela, will you start us off in prayer, please? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Before you go, before you go, will you bow your heads one more time? Heavenly Father, for every person that is here, Heaven, Holy Spirit, I ask that you flow out here today. Lord, that you would flow in every one of their lives, Lord, that there would be a mighty flow of you, Holy Spirit, that we could not even contain ourselves, that that would be that spirit of anticipation, that spirit of expectation. Lord, expecting you, anticipating that you are going to do great work. Lord, do that work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, come down upon your church. Holy Spirit, come down upon each and every person that is here. Lord God, come down and fill them to overflowing. Fill them to fullness. Not just to fullness, overflowing. That we would be those mighty rivers flowing out into a barren wasteland of this world. Bringing life wherever we go. Because we are walking in you. And it's your power, it's your might, it's your strength that is doing it. So truly make us those conduits. 
Make us those conduits of your grace and mercy and power to a lost and dying world. To here to Las Vegas, Lord, to our workplaces, to our families. Lord, that we would make a difference. That we would be difference makers because you made a difference in us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do this good work, this great work right now. And I ask this in the name that is above all names. The name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in the power of God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Ah, Get it.